And if you would turn with me in your Bible to the book of Exodus, uh, this morning we are starting a new series. And uh, Exodus is the second book in the Bible, so it'll be toward the beginning. I think it's page 53 if you're looking in a pew Bible, right after Genesis. Uh, so over the next several months, we'll be going through this book. It's one of the uh, foundational books of the Old Testament. In fact, uh, probably um, the majority of the other Old Testament books uh, specifically refer back to what happens in this book. Uh, so it's a very important book. Um, and today, I'm just going to read the first seven verses of Exodus, but I want to give you a big picture of what the book is about as a whole sort of the bird's eye view of where we're headed and what this book is about, um, as well as a little bit about the introductory verses. So let me read uh, Exodus chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah... Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. So what are some of the greatest human needs in our world today? If you uh, leave here after church today and uh, go and ask people in your family or in your school or at your workplace or on the street, you might get a variety of different responses. But here are three that I think are fairly common ones. Some people will say what people really need is freedom. Many people in the world live under repressive governments. They need freedom. Others are being bullied or abused or mistreated by people in their own household or in their workplace or uh, in their school. They need freedom. And people don't just need freedom from external oppression. People also need freedom from internal forms of oppression, from addictions or self-destructive habits and thought patterns. Uh, but I think another need that people might commonly identify in the world today, uh, other people might say, people don't just need freedom, we also need order. Our culture is descending into chaos. People don't know right from wrong. Look at all the shootings. Look at how many families are breaking apart. Look at how many businesses can't find enough decent employees with a basic work ethic. This world needs order. But I think a third need that many people would identify. Many people would say, even along with freedom and order, or even more than freedom and order, what this world really needs is connection. Uh, Mother Teresa once said, the greatest disease in the West is not tuberculosis or leprosy, it is being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. We can cure physical diseases with medicine, but the only cure for loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is love. And isn't that what many people are longing for today? Didn't that become increasingly evident during the pandemic? Many people became lonelier than ever. or We saw how much we need and long for personal connection. 
So freedom, order, and connection. I think all those three are deeply felt longings in our world today. And the book of Exodus, written over 3,000 years ago in a very different culture and different part of the world, speaks to each of these human longings. Exodus is a story in three parts. The first part is about freedom. It's about God freeing the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. The second part is about order, how God orders the life of his people through his commandments. And the third part is about connection. Not just connecting between people, but people connecting with God. God coming to dwell with his people in the tabernacle. And today we're beginning our journey through this epic book. So this morning I want us to do three things. I want us first to see the bird's eye view of Exodus as a whole. Second, I want to focus in on the opening verses that we just read. And third, we'll conclude by considering the relevance of this book for us today. So first, I want us to see the book of Exodus as a whole, a bird's eye view. Uh, Now let's say uh, that you decide to sit down and read through the book of Exodus from start to finish. Some people try to do this, especially if they're trying to read through the whole Bible from start to finish. Uh, They might get through Genesis. Genesis has a lot of uh, exciting stories. People can usually get through that one, and then they come to Exodus. Uh, but let's say you're, you know, maybe you've read Exodus before, maybe you've never read it before, but let's say you sit down, you're like, I'm going to read through this book and try to ask, what is this book all about? Why is it here? What is its basic message? Um, so if you read through the book, you might start, you, one of the things you might notice is the outline or structure, which I just very briefly Uh, referred to earlier. So there are three distinct sections within the book of Exodus. Uh, Chapters 1 through 18 is the first section. Uh, And this first part of Exodus is a story. And the story begins with the people of Israel in Egypt. In fact, that uh, is mentioned in the first verse of the book, uh, the sons of Israel who came to Egypt. Uh, And the story begins with the people of Israel in Egypt, and they're enslaved and oppressed by Uh, the Egyptian ruler, Pharaoh. But in these chapters, God intervenes on their behalf, uh, first by raising up Moses to be their advocate and leader. That's the first six chapters or so, God raising up Moses. Uh, Then uh, God punishes Pharaoh, who who stubbornly refuses to let the people go and wants to oppress them more and more. Uh, So God punishes Pharaoh through the 10 plagues in chapters 7 through 11. And finally, God makes a way in chapters 12 through 15, for the people of Israel to leave Egypt. Now, this is where we get the name of the book. Exodus simply means exit or departure. Uh, And this is probably the best known part of Exodus. Uh, So if you ask many people uh, who might have read Exodus a little bit before, if you say, well, what's Exodus about? Many people will say it's about God freeing the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. Now, that's true but that's also only the first part of the book. So it's not quite the whole story. You see, once the people leave Egypt, there are a few chapters, uh, chapters 16 through 18, that describe their journey through the wilderness, but then in chapter 19, they arrive at Mount Sinai, and the rest of the book happens there. So if you want to do a geographical outline of Exodus, it's from Egypt to Sinai. They start in Egypt as slaves, and they end at Mount Sinai where they come to belong to God. 
So the first part of Exodus is a story about God freeing the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. The second part of Exodus is chapters 19 through 24. And if you read those chapters, you'll find that it's not so much a story, it's mostly a law code uh, that expresses God's will for the people whom he has set free. Uh, now this second part of Exodus is a bit more challenging for us to understand and apply. Now it begins with something that's probably familiar to us, at least at a general level, it begins with the Ten Commandments in chapter 20. So that's the familiar part, but then after the Ten Commandments, there's three long chapters uh, that go into great detail about how the Ten Commandments are to be lived out and practically applied within the nation of Israel, and also what, what are the consequences when people don't follow the Ten Commandments. Now, if you're reading through the book of Exodus on your own, you'll probably read through the story about how God freed them from Egypt, and then you'll get to these laws, and you might start scratching your head and thinking, so how do these laws, I mean, I get the Ten Commandments, but how do the rest of these laws relate to us? And you might notice that the death penalty is prescribed for quite a few different things, and you might think, gosh, what's going on here? Right? This section might raise some questions. We'll get to those questions when we get there. Um, but the important thing for us to see right now is that the second part of Exodus is a law code in which we see God bringing order to the life of the people whom he has set free. Uh, but then there's a third part of Exodus, uh, chapters 25 through 40, and this part is not a story, and it's not a law code, it's building instructions. Um, God lays out the plan for his tabernacle. The word tabernacle simply means a tent. It was a uh, temporary portable structure in which God promised to meet with his people and dwell with them. Uh, at the beginning of this section, in chapter 25, verses 8 and 9, God tells Moses why they're supposed to build a tabernacle. He says, let them make me a sanctuary so that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture, so you shall make it. So, Chapters 25 through 31 is a long list of instructions about how precisely to make the tabernacle, what furniture should be placed in it, how the priests who are put in charge of managing it need to act. And then the rest of the section describes how the people of Israel followed those instructions in great detail. Now this part of Exodus is probably the hardest part for people like us living in 21st century America to understand. Because first of all, it's hard to visualize. You read these architectural instructions, it says it's supposed to be three cubits high. How high is a cubit, right? Yeah, so the measurements aren't even familiar to us, right? Now, you might have a, a study Bible or some resource that has you know, a nice diagram of the tabernacle. Those are helpful. Um, but then you also have to ask, well, what's the meaning of, what's the sort of symbolism or, or purpose of all these different pieces of furniture and how the tabernacle is supposed to be set up, right? So Exodus sort of goes from easy to difficult, right? A story that's pretty easy to read and understand to laws that are a little more difficult to the tabernacle that seems probably most challenging for us today to understand. Um, but the end of Exodus ends with, uh, if you look at the last few verses of Exodus, uh, chapter 40, verse 34 says, The cloud of God's presence covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tent.
the tabernacle. So the purpose of the tabernacle was for God's glory to come and dwell with his people. It's for the people to connect with God. So ultimately, this section is all about connection. Right? Again, not just people connecting with each other, important as that is, but people being able to connect with God. Um, so those are the three main sections of Exodus. And if you sort of step back from these three sections uh, and think about how is this book developing from beginning to end, you can describe the arc of the story in a few ways. Uh, first, it's a journey from a place where God initially seems to be absent or distant um, to a place where God is obviously present. Uh, the Israelites go from unwillingly building uh, store cities for Pharaoh to willingly building a tabernacle for the Lord. They journey from Egypt, where they're in bondage, to Pharaoh, to Sinai, where they come to belong to God. So I've entitled today's sermon and this whole sermon series from bondage to belonging, because I think that gets at the heart of the journey that God brought the Israelites on, from bondage to belonging, from bondage to slavery in Egypt to belonging to the Lord who saved them and loves them. And uh, that's the journey that we are also invited to come along with. Uh, now, you might say, okay, so that's a nice outline of the book, but do we know anything about who wrote this book or who was it written for? Uh, well, the answer to that is, is uh, yes. Traditionally, Jews and Christians have said that Moses, uh, the main character uh, on a human level in the book, was the primary author of the first five books of the Bible. And there are a couple of places in Exodus that refer to Moses writing down the Ten Commandments or writing down certain events that happened. Uh, now, if you're, you study a lot of things, you'll know that many modern scholars have questioned that, and they've put forth all kinds of different theories, all, almost all of which conflict with one another. Um, so I don't find the modern theories particularly convincing, but I don't want to get into the details of those debates right now. Um, but if you have questions about that, feel free to ask. Uh, but here's, I'm just going to tell you the principle I'm operating on. Uh, I think the book of Exodus makes sense if you read it as substantially written by or derived from Moses for the benefit of the Israelites who had been brought out of Egypt and who were on their way through the wilderness on the way to the land that God had promised them. And of course, it's also intended not only for those people who lived in Moses' time, but also for future generations of Israelites or of God's people. So Exodus is basically saying this. It's saying this is who we are as a people. We were once in bondage to Pharaoh, but now we belong to the Lord. This is how our story began. And this is the path we need to continue on if we're going to flourish in the future. So that's the big picture of Exodus as a whole. Uh, now, uh, look down at the first seven verses of chapter one that we read earlier. So I want to look at these verses uh, for a couple of minutes just to see where Exodus begins. Um, and the first thing that this introduction shows us is that Exodus picks up where the book of Genesis left off. Uh, and uh, one way we know that is that the first word in the Hebrew text of Exodus is and. So almost no English translations translate the word because in English, who begins a word, who begins a whole book with the word and, right? It's just not normal grammatical style, right? But in Hebrew, Exodus, as well as Leviticus and Numbers, both begin with and because Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers are all sort of 
four parts of one story. And Deuteronomy is sort of a recap of, of all of that. Um, but in Hebrew, it's there, that word and, and the point is Exodus is continuing a story that began in Genesis. Uh, now, the book of Genesis ends with the story of a man named Joseph, who was one of Jacob's 12 sons, and jo uh, Joseph ends up going down to Egypt, and eventually the rest of his family joins him there. It's a long story. It's a wonderful story. Um, I won't get into the details of that today, but the last verse of Genesis, if you look at the page before Exodus, uh, last verse of Genesis refers to Joseph's death in the land of Egypt, and uh, that's what verse 6 of Exodus refers to. So the first six verses of Exodus are sort of a recap of the end of Genesis, sort of a reminder of, okay, this is picking up a story that was previously begun in the book of Genesis, and we're continuing that story. Now, uh, you might say, well, okay, that's fine, but what is Genesis all about, right? Okay, so Genesis has two major themes, both of which this introduction to Exodus picks up. The first well, uh, one theme in the book of Genesis is God is faithful to his promises to Abraham and his descendants. So that's the main theme of the second part of Genesis, Genesis 12 through 50. Um, God makes several promises uh, to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And he says, I'm making these promises to you, but also to your family and your descendants. So I'm going to work out my plan uh, through you all. Uh, some of the things he promises, he says, your descendants will become a great and numerous people. And one day you all will possess a land of your own. And I will provide a place for you uh, to live in Canaan. And the beginning of Exodus is, uh, gives us a signal that God hasn't forgotten those promises that he made. And in fact, throughout the Bible, the Bible keeps on reminding us God never forgets the promises he's made. And of course, we can find comfort and encouragement in that too, that God doesn't forget the promises he has made to us through Jesus Christ. Um, so the first six verses really of Exodus really pick up that promise, those promises to Abraham and remind us uh, that uh, Abraham's son was Isaac, Isaac's son was Jacob, Jacob had 12 sons. And if you count all the family members, Verse 5 uh, mentions the family members of Jacob have grown to a group of 70. So in a couple of generations, it's gone from Abraham and Sarah, who were uh, quite old and childless at the time when God first met them. And now their, their uh, family has grown, their extended family has grown to a group of 70 people. Uh, so God's beginning to fulfill those promises. And in verse 7, what you see is that the descendants of Abraham begin multiplying like crazy in Egypt. They're fruitful, increased greatly, multiplied, grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. The author uses five verbs in that sentence to talk about their amazing growth. So that's the first theme that this intro shows us is God's faithful to his promises to Abraham and his descendants in particular. But there's another theme from the first chapters of Genesis. Um, Genesis is not only about the people of Israel or Abraham and his descendants. A uh, Genesis also shows us God's purpose for his whole creation, for all the nations of the world. And if you read Genesis 1 through 11, that's the main theme. 
that God is not just concerned about one people group on earth, but God created all people in his image, and he has a plan ultimately for people from all nations to come to know him and belong to him. Uh, so before God promised his blessing to Abraham and his descendants in chapter 12, God spoke a word of blessing over the human race as a whole in Genesis chapter 1. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28 says, God created man, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So that's God's original purpose for the human race, that we would experience his life-giving power and growth and fill the earth and uh, cultivate it uh, and, and bring life to the whole world. Now, but the problem is, if you read past, anywhere past Genesis 1 and 2, you see the big problem, right? Because very quickly Genesis shows us that the first human beings decide to revolt. They decide to take matters into their own hands they decide that God is not worth trusting anymore. They decide that we are worth trusting more than God. And so everything starts to fall apart. And instead of spreading life throughout the world, they spread sin and death. And it just sort of, things start going in a downward spiral. And uh, it's a mess. But that's when God intervenes and calls Abraham and says, no, through you, I'm going to bless you and build you up into a great nation but then here's the end of the promise to Abraham. He says, I'll bless you so that you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Genesis shows us that God's purpose for Abraham and his descendants is only part of his greater purpose to bring life and blessing to the world. Right? To uh, somehow resolve the problems of sin and death that human beings have created for ourselves. And God's starting with Abraham and his descendants, but he has an even greater plan uh, that ultimately uh, is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. All right, so when we read the book of Exodus and we see God carrying out his promises to Abraham and his descendants, we're getting a glimpse of God's greater purpose for his creation as a whole. And if you notice those words in verse 7, people of Israel were fruitful, multiplied, and increased. The same words that God spoke in Genesis chapter 1, right? Be fruitful and multiply and increase. And so, of course, that all got, you know, then, then it went down the tubes. But again, God's saying, no, nope, I'm going to start again with Abraham. And then through Abraham, that blessing is going to come to the world. And that leads us to our third point. I'd say, okay. This book was written long ago to the Abraham's descendants who lived in a different part of the world in a different period of history, and some of this might be a little strange to us, but what, does this, what relevance does this have for us today? Right? Here's why all this matters to us. Uh, as I said in the beginning, we long for the things that God provides to his people in this book. We long for freedom instead of bondage. We long for order instead of chaos, and we long for connection instead of isolation. And Exodus shows us that God provides those very things for the people whom he loves. And so the question for us is, how do we connect with this God? 
how can we go from bondage to sin and death and all the other things that constrict us and restrain us in this world to belonging to God, both now and forever. And the Bible says that we can know this God and be united with him through his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, Exodus isn't just a story about people who lived long ago and far away. It's also a story for us. Uh, And the Apostle Paul, uh, writing to uh, the Christians in Rome, said this. He said, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. And he wrote a similar thing to the church in Corinth. said, these things, referring to the book of Exodus in particular, these things were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. You see, what Paul means there is that the things that are written in the Old Testament and in the book of Exodus in particular are written for our benefit. Uh, Because what God did for the people back then is what he has done for us in an even greater way through his son, Jesus Christ. And so, uh, Exodus shows us how God freed the children of Israel from uh, uh, physical and spiritual bondage in Egypt. And the New Testament shows us how through Jesus Christ, God has freed us from bondage to sin, death, and the devil. And so, uh, the New Testament uses Uh, This kind of language, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 to 14 says, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. Now that word redemption is a very rich and wonderful word, uh, but part of the root of that means to be set free from slavery and to to belong uh, to the redeemer, to the one who uh, to set sets you free, right? Redemption is really the sort of central idea of of Exodus. That's the idea of from bondage to belonging. Uh, But it says, in Jesus Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Or Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6 says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. To him be glory forever and ever. So that's the message of the New Testament, is that through Jesus Christ, because of what he did for us on the cross, we can know freedom and forgiveness. Amen. Forgiveness for all of our sins. Um, and notice that Exodus doesn't start with God giving his people the law and saying, if you obey all these things, and if you do a good enough job, then I'll rescue you. Then you can belong to me. No. The book of Exodus starts with God rescuing people by his grace because they cry out to him and say, we need help and nothing else can help us in the way you can. Right? So, um, so that's the good news is that we don't have to prove ourselves worthy of being rescued by God. We simply have to accept what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. Um, and receive the freedom that he's bought for us. Uh, but, again, the story doesn't end there. right? Some people uh, say, well, God has set me free, therefore, now I'll do whatever I feel like. But Exodus says no. right? After God freed the children of Israel from slavery, he ordered their lives according to his good and wise law. 
And the Ten Commandments focus are the heart of that law that focus on loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Those are sort of the two main uh, parts of the Ten Commandments. And in the same way, when Jesus Christ saves us, when we trust in him as our Savior and Lord, he gives us a new order and a new direction and a new purpose for living. Uh, so Ephesians, uh, one of Paul's letters in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says this, uh, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So that's the first part of Exodus. God saves us by his grace. But then the next verse in Ephesians says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. You see, God delivers us from our, from our sin and forgives us and frees us so that we might walk in obedience to him and do the good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. Again, not because we have to prove ourselves worthy of God's mercy, but simply because that's an appropriate response of being brought into belonging to God. Uh, but finally, uh, Exodus ends with God coming to dwell with his people in the tabernacle. And again, that's another thing that we can experience in an even greater way through Jesus Christ. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 14, speaking of when Jesus came to earth, says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that word dwelt among us is the word uh, that could also be translated tabernacled among us. In Jesus Christ, God's presence came to dwell with human beings. And so we can know God and be connected to him through Jesus. And one day Jesus will return, and that's where the Bible ends. And on that day, uh, Revelation 21 describes that day in these words. It says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. You see, if you have come to trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, that's what you can look forward to. That's what we can experience in, in part now, is having the presence of God abiding with us by his Holy Spirit, living with us and, and being with us wherever we go and looking forward to the day when we'll see Jesus face to face in glory forever. So that's why Exodus matters to us because it points to the greater freedom and order and connection with God that we can find in Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you uh, that a book that was written thousands of years ago can speak so powerfully to our longings and hopes and needs today. Uh, we thank you that that is true because uh, you are not uh, simply a God of the people who lived back then, uh, but you are the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Lord, when we see your character in the book of Exodus, when we see that you are glorious and trustworthy and true, that we can trust uh, that that is who you are for us today.
And Lord, we pray that uh, you would help each of us to experience the freedom and forgiveness that you have provided through Jesus Christ. Help us to uh, let you order our lives according to your wisdom. Pray that uh, you would help us to not uh, just take matters into our own hands and uh, live as we see fit, but trust that your ways are wiser than ours and that we would uh, show our, our gratitude to you uh, by uh, seeking to walk in obedience to you. And we pray most of all uh, in thanksgiving for your presence with us. Uh, Lord, where Exodus ends, thank you for uh, meeting that longing of our heart to connect uh, with something bigger than ourselves, to connect with you. Uh, Lord, we pray, uh, pray that each of us would experience those things in greater measure and pray that you would help us as we journey through this book over the next several months, that it would be beneficial to us and that we would uh, come to know you and connect with you more deeply through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, we are going to sing a song as uh, the uh, children are going to come up and join us for the baptism. Um, so uh, the song is on the insert in your bulletin, and it's called Christ Our Hope in Life and Death. So please stand as you are able.
seated. Uh, so this morning we have the joy of receiving Jim and Lisa Viola as members of TCC and also celebrating with Jim as he'll be baptized. So let me say a few words about baptism and about church membership uh, to explain what, why we're doing, what we're doing and why we're doing it. Uh, so first about baptism, uh, you might say, why do we baptize people? Uh, well, after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus said to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So what we're doing here today is simply following Jesus' command. Uh, but you might also ask, what does baptism represent? Baptism has often been described as an outward sign of an inner reality. Uh, the inward reality is that by faith in Jesus, by trusting in Jesus, we've been connected to, uh, to Jesus. Uh, everything that is ours has become his, and everything that is his has become ours. That's the promise that he makes to us. Uh, and that's what it means to be a Christian. And baptism is simply an outward sign that testifies to that inner reality. Uh, Jesus uh, spoke about uh, baptism in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and we see the work of God the Father in baptism. Uh, we see the initiating love of God the Father, that long before we loved God, he loved us, and he sought us out so that we might come to belong to him. Uh, we also see the cleansing power of Jesus, his Son. Uh, now, getting baptized is not magic, uh, the water doesn't wash away your sins, uh, but baptism is a sign and a seal of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Uh, that it's a uh, powerful, uh, symbolic uh, expression of that Christ has cleansed us from our sin and made us his own forever. And finally, baptism shows us uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended on him and remained with him. And that's God's promise to everyone who trusts in Jesus. Uh, Jim, you'll get wet, but the water will dry off. But God's promises stick. And that's what we're celebrating today. Is that God's promises to us through Jesus Christ for you, Jim, and you, Lisa, uh, will stick with us. 
Um, if you've already been baptized, consider today as a reminder of your own baptism and a reaffirmation of God's promises to you and yours to him. If you haven't been baptized, consider this an invitation, first of all, to turn to Jesus, uh, to trust in him, and say, Lord Jesus, here's everything that I am and everything that I have, and I want to receive everything that you are and everything that you have. Uh, and then, uh, if you've done that, uh, then we can talk about uh, being baptized as an expression of your allegiance to him. Uh, Jim and Lisa will also be joining this church as members which is an, another uh, expression of their faith in Christ, as well as their commitment to this local family of believers. And being a member of a church simply reminds us that uh, God's plan uh, has always been to gather together a people who will display his glory to the world together. God doesn't just sort of bless us individually and then sort of say, okay, go off on your own way and figure it out yourself. Uh, he says, no, I want you to be part of a family where you can experience uh, the love of God and the wisdom and truth of God and the presence of God together. So Jim and Lisa, we're very grateful for how God has brought both of you uh, to, to, uh, to faith in Christ as well as to uh, be part of this church family here at TCC. So let me invite uh, Jim and Lisa to come forward. Um, and uh, when someone becomes a member here, um, we invite them to share in their own words, either verbally or in writing a testimony. So Jim's gonna come and read his testimony. Uh, and then uh, Lisa has asked to print her testimony in the bulletin, so I'll summarize uh, some parts of hers for us as well. And then after they do that, I'll have the deacons come forward um, as we welcome them into membership. So Jim, why don't you come go right ahead and share with us. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jim Viola. I was born in Hartford and grew up in Wethersfield. As a child, my parents always took us to Catholic Church. I stopped when I no longer felt a sense of value in attending the service. I became reacquainted with God and the mercy through an invitation from a co-worker to a, home, to a lunchtime prayer group at work. Another co-worker from the group suggested Tackettville Church, and I have been attending for just over a year. God has blessed me. I should put my glasses on. God has blessed me with a wonderful family, two dogs, Bandit and Ringo, and a home I've always been looking for in Vernon. Through the prayer group, I have come to realize that Jesus died for our forgiveness, for, uh, for the forgiveness of our sins, and we can only be saved through Jesus. I'm attending regular Bible study at work and with the church and continue to learn more. I want to join the church and be baptized today as an expression of my faith in Jesus, and I hope the church will pray for me on this journey. Thanks, Jim. Okay. And uh, you can verify what he just said because most of the people in that, some of the people in that row are uh, his Bible study uh, friends from work who are here celebrating with us today. Um, and uh, it's a joy to, um, thanks for, glad that you guys were able to be here together. <laughs> um, good, that's good, that's great. 
so, all right, let me, uh, uh, Lisa's testimony is printed in the bulletin, uh, and um, let me just summarize, uh, let me just uh, read some parts of it, um, and you can uh, feel free to read it on your own, but uh, Lisa said she's originally from Manchester, and uh, she and Jim celebrated their 25th anniversary last year, so we praise the Lord for that. Um, And uh, they've lived in this neighborhood for about nine years, and uh, she said she'd driven by the church, uh, but she hadn't thought about attending until, I think it was Mark, right, uh, suggested this church and said, you guys should check out that church. So uh, she was like, sure, I'll come along. And she says, it's our first visit. Many people greeted us and were so welcoming. We really enjoy attending every Sunday. For quite a while, I have felt that something is very wrong with the world today and searching for the reason. Attending church, I've come to realize that we've all turned away from God and put ourselves in his place. We have lost the teachings and authority of God. We abandoned guidelines for living as Jesus would have us live. But Jesus came into the world to redeem us from our sin and encourage a relationship with God. He paid the debt for us so we can be forgiven. I want to join the church today to continue to develop in this new relationship with God, and I hope the church will pray for me on this path. Uh, so now at this point, uh, would the deacons who are here today come to the front, um, and would you uh, uh, bring your inserts? Uh, those of you, um, you can turn to the insert in your bulletin that says Rene receiving new members at TCC. Uh, so this is um, uh, how we uh, reaffirm the, the mission and purpose of our church. Every time we receive people into membership, we always ask the same two questions uh, to those who are becoming members as we welcome them, and then we'll pray for them. So if you would stand, uh, if everyone would stand, if you are able, and uh, let me invite uh, the members of the church to join in reading the words in bold together. Then I'll ask Jim and Lisa these questions. All right, let's join together. We, the members of Talcottville Congregational Church, are united in seeking to know God's will in the scriptures and to walk in the ways of the Lord. Our mission is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to all people, giving glory to the one true God. So Jim and Lisa, do you confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and make him your example and take for your rule of life his words, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I do. I do. And do you promise, as God enables you, to share in the worship and work of this church to pursue purity and peace alongside your fellow members and to endeavor that we might be a fruitful body of Christians? I do. I do. Let's join together as we welcome Jim and Lisa. We, the members of Talcottville Congregational Church, gladly welcome you to share with us in the hopes, the labors, and the joys of Christ's church. We promise to walk with you in Christian love and to do all that is in our power to promote your growth in Christ. Well, uh, let's, um, let me uh, pray. Let's pray together for Jim and Lisa. Our Father, we thank you for reaching out in your love to Jim and to Lisa. We thank you uh, that uh, long before they even existed, you sent your son to be their savior. And we thank you uh, that you have also sent your Holy Spirit to dwell in them, uh, to be their comforter and their advocate. Uh, we pray for Jim as he's baptized today that you would fill him with great joy and with power from your Holy Spirit as he testifies to the work you've done in him 
and that he would always remember this day as a sign and a seal of your grace in his life. Now we pray for Jim and Lisa. Uh, thank you for bringing them here to this church and for uh, both of their professions of faith in Jesus. We pray that they'd continue to grow together in their faith in Christ, that they would nurture and strengthen one another, that they'd be equipped to do all the good works you've prepared for them to do, that they would be a blessing to this church and we to them. Preserve each of them through every temptation and trial that they will face in the future, and that they may always remain in fellowship with you for the rest of their life and for all eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.